Welcome in, everybody, to the Flagship Podcast. Very excited uh, to have as our guest this week a man I like to call a voice of reason in, in college football. You hear him on uh, Sirius XM Radio, the full ride with Chris Childers. Uh, during the football season, you see him on CBS with uh, former Longhorn linebacker Brian Jones. Uh, he is the former head coach at Colorado, Washington, and UCLA, the one and only Rick Neuheisel. Rick, how you doing? Chip, I'm wonderful. Thanks for having me on the program. Well, I'm, I'm, you know, I listen to you, and of course, I think you do a great job on the air. And with all the craziness going on in college <laughs> athletics right now, you having coached at Colorado, Washington, and UCLA probably have a unique perspective on what the bleep is going on with realignment. Um, right. Rick, I mean, when you heard USC and UCLA were joining the Big Ten in 2024, what was the first thing that went through your mind? Texas and Oklahoma. Uh, I mean, a year ago, it sent shockwaves. I was at the SEC Media Days, is, uh, which is where I find you today. I'm, I'm here in Atlanta. And I remember the shockwaves that that sent through the world of college football. And unfortunately, derailed what I think we all had been, at least all of those who I think think clearly, uh, had derailed a college football playoff plan that was going to change and allow access for more schools and more conferences. And because of it, you got a brand new commissioner in the Pac-12, a brand new commissioner in the uh, ACC, and a relatively new commissioner in the Big Ten uh, all get together and say, wait a minute, we can't, we've got to stop this world domination tour by Greg Sankey. And we've got to end this idea of a 12-team playoff until we can get our bearings and figure out what are, you know what's up and, and what's up and what's down. And it's unfortunate because that to me was going to be a, a shift towards a way to save 130, now 131 programs in college football. That short-sighted decision by those three conferences now has put us in a situation where that alliance was busted. Kevin Warren said, I had to do what's best for the Big Ten. He's basically, you know, made his chess move, as he felt last year's move was a chess move, uh, to counter the SEC. And we are now, if you listen to the experts, headed towards super conferences, which is wonderful if you're part of it, but it's certainly creating a class of haves and have-nots. And therefore, therefore, we're in a little bit of disarray. Add NIL transfer portal mayhem to all of that and you've got the wonderful world of uh, college athletics well i mean usc and ucla are are, are now going to be the outliers having coached at ucla i right. mean football is one thing you can fly in on a thursday or friday um but you know noon kickoffs predominantly in the big 10 or you know I mean, talk about the student athlete and if, and as a former head coach at UCLA, what, uh, what those student athletes and coaches are in for. 
you can look at yourself in the mirror and say this was a great move for the Bruins and the Trojans. And, and you can sit there and say, well, UCLA was in some financial trouble. The Trojans had been out of uh, uh, relevancy for some time, having not participated in the college football playoff in the eight years it's been around. And you can sit there and, and pat yourself in the back and say, this is great for us. And relative to the rest of the Pac-12, probably it is. But in terms of if you're sitting there saying this is great for the student athletes, you've got to be kidding me. Those flight homes, Chip, uh, uh, flights home are, are ridiculously hard, especially if you're playing a game that's later in the day. You're not going to get back until the wee hours. That's especially if you're heading from west back to east. And for the, the kids who are traveling from uh, – from you know the west coast to the east coast who are going to be having to do that you know half of the year that's a tremendous hardship given school and in the hours that are expected to play we talk coaches all the time about body clocks and you know being ready to play at 9 a.m you know the fox actually asked arizona state and usc to play an opening game remember during the pandemic at 9 a.m at the Coliseum. Well, that's the equivalent of a big noon game in, in you know, the big house or, or the shoe. So that it's, it's, it's not without problems. It's not fraught without some, you know, expense on the student athlete. And again, I just keep asking, are we really thinking about them or is this just strictly the NFL on Saturdays? And it feels like the TVs feels like ESPN and Fox are dictating everything uh, in terms of college. And you can't blame them because right. they are they are certainly in the business uh, world of, you know, generating what's the gold bullion of television, which is advertisers. And college athletics are certainly one of the more attractive packages for advertisers to get their hands on because you you as a viewer have to view it in real time. You can't, you know, TiVo it. You can't, you know, consume it like you do your favorite uh, binge TV watching thing. You've got to get it while it's going on. Otherwise, gonna somebody's going to leak the score and you're going to be uh, not worried about watching it in its entirety. So everybody wanting to consume a game and watch their dear old university uh, toil against somebody else is wanting to watch it in real time. And when you compare college football, which is the number two popular sport television wise, second only to the NFL, the NFL is going to get about $10 billion annually. College football right now, and I know these numbers are going to go up, are basically 10% of that. It's a billion dollars we earn. We are selling ourselves pennies on the dollar, and the reason we're doing it is because we're not united. We have no cohesion. Everybody's got a job description to take care of themselves. No fault in that but it's short-sighted in terms of what the big picture should be. And in particular, when you start to think about, Chip, what everybody would pencil in. If you were asked to give me 50 words on the mission statement of college athletics, you would write something eloquent, given your brilliance, write something eloquent about the, you know, the experience of the student athlete. So too would everybody involved in college athletics. This is about their day in the sun, their opportunity to not only flourish as an athlete, but also get the first class education being provided by all these great institutions. We aren't doing right by them if we don't get our hands around how do we make this not only really a great experience, but also a convenient experience. Yeah. And you look at 
you look at the Big Ten, it sounds like Fox has gone all in on the Big Ten, probably got the deal. Um, then it's a question of who do they want to yeah. sub-license hey, with. There was there was a chancellor at, at uh, LSU, uh, I want to say it was Michael Martin, back in 2011, said, we are headed for the ESPN conference and the Fox conference. He's not far off. And that was in 2000, October of 2011. Here we are in uh, uh, getting ready for 2022 season. And we looks as if these super conferences might as well be named after the networks that are going to be uh, uh, ponying up the big bucks. Well, having spent your career in the Pac-12, what makes sense for the remaining schools, Rick? Well, let me first uh, just say, how conflicted I am. Obviously my alma mater is in the, in the have category right now. My son coaches there. So I'm thrilled that the Bruins are going to get uh, this leg up and hopefully finance their expectations finally. Uh, but for the right remaining schools and for the, you know, the history of the conference, this is sad. I mean, this was a conference that had unbelievable players and teams and coaches and, and a, and a history that they could really be proud of. And, there's a lot of people wondering about, can it survive? Now, if the 10 remaining teams all lock arms and say, we're going to stick together and maybe invite a couple of teams, you know, from Texas, I could see a TCU and an SMU, you know, joining ranks and, you know, getting a Dallas market and getting into the central time zone for a little bit. But, but if they don't find a way to survive, it's, it's very, I guess the way I should say it, it's very difficult to count on survival when you're talking out of both sides of your mouth and be, by their own job descriptions, they have to. They're all going to be looking to get into that Big Ten. Many of the Pac-12 schools are from that Association of American Universities. They're all going to be looking to get included into an expanding Big Ten. They're also going to be making, don't think Phil Knight hasn't made a call to the SEC saying we would fit nicely. Uh, and you guys would like a trip uh, every now and then to the Pacific Northwest, and I can help finance it. Don't think that that's not happening. Everybody's making sure they catch the bus and not on the outside looking in. When you look at the, you know, the Arizona schools, Colorado, where you coached, Utah, uh, if you're the Big 12, do you try to grab those schools? Well, Brett Yormark has already said we're open for business. There's nobody uh, more enticing than those four schools. They kind of are, you know, uh, congruent. There's a, they're part of the Southwest. They they make sense uh, as you go to West Texas. You're not. It's not real hard to think about Colorado and the two Arizona schools in Utah. I mean, that that makes all the sense in the world. I just wonder if those four schools are also thinking, wait a minute, should we be jumping to a Big 12, which is going to be getting about half the television revenue that these others, or should be we be a little bit more patient wondering about what expansion means, or can we do both? Can we go Big 12 now still with the opportunity to get to a Big 10 should it uh, be knocking on our door or an SEC if they're knocking on the door? These are questions that are all brand new to all these decision makers and they're they're pondering just like you and I are. Why haven't Washington and Oregon been invited to the Big Ten? Well, great question. Um, 
uh, as I sit and listen to the television people in this, it takes a while to do the analytics, to do the analytics on, uh, you know, what it means as a value add to the networks uh, before they're just going to throw their money at you. And, you know, it sounds good. They want to really know the demographics of the television sets, uh, what the brands mean and so forth. So I think they didn't want to spook anybody. They were obviously doing this research on the Los Angeles schools. And I, it's my guess that the networks went to Kevin Warren rather than Kevin Warren going to the networks, but, uh, and said, here's how we can take this thing up over a hundred million per, but those analytics had to be done kind of in a vacuum so that it didn't spook anybody or get it out there that this was a possibility, you know, and, and maybe uh, jeopardizing the deal. Yeah. I mean, when you look at it, it, uh, you know, those are big brands. Obviously, you mentioned Phil Knight, uh, but the Big Ten seems content uh, to wait on Notre Dame, I guess. Yeah, and- the, other, the other two schools that absolutely fit the profile of the Big Ten, at least from an academic standpoint, are right there in the Bay Area. And we know there's television sets in the Bay Area, and we're talking about Cal and Stanford. And they've been noticeably quiet. Uh, you haven't heard them as with rumors to the Big 12. You certainly haven't heard them jumping uh, and talking about anybody else. And they, they, and Stanford certainly has a partnership with Notre Dame uh, and, and is the envy uh, from an academic standpoint, as is Cal for any conference. So uh, I, I'm still kind of waiting with bated breath as to what they're going to do. It made me a little queasy that a UC school right? A University of California school in, in the Bruins could leave and leave the University of California, the kind of the, the original UC school in the lurch. And maybe it's not in the lurch at all. Maybe there's uh, further maneuverings going on that uh, may include Stanford and Cal here in the near future. Yeah. Um, talking to Rick Neuheisel, we'll take a quick break here on the flagship podcast. We'll be right back. Big 12 media days are behind us. You're at SEC Media Days, Texas and Oklahoma, obviously still in the Big 12 for now. Yeah. <laughs> what, what uh, you know, who stands out to you uh, in this, in, you know, this year of Big 12 football where Baylor is being uh, picked by the media to repeat as champions? Well, I, I think Sark's going to have a much better year than uh, last year. I know Texas fans are expecting that and got their fingers crossed that that is actually what happens. I'm curious to see how Brent Venables transitions to a head coaching role. Uh, is, you know, bright a star as he is in the coaching ranks. It's new and it's different. And especially as passionate as he is and emotional as he is, can he, you know, manage a game in full you know, from both sides of the ball, there's no break. You know, you are constantly thinking about the strategic uh, angles of, of how to get to where you want to go at game's conclusion. Can he do that and still be in that, you know, that guy who jumps three and four feet high uh, as he gets excited about what's going on? That's going to be very interesting. Uh, a lot of new quarterback faces in the Big 12. Adrian Martinez at uh, Kansas State, obviously, and Dylan Gabriel at uh, uh at Oklahoma, Quinn Ewers, I mean, goodness gracious, has there been a lot of pressure put on him? And now we'd be added even more because the, the words Arch Manning's on his way uh, to Austin. So uh, some really fascinating stories in the Big 12. You know, I was in the original Big 12. 
I was at Colorado when this league was formed in 1996. I was at the first ever coaches meeting. And I remember, you know, hanging out with uh, Dr. Tom Osborne, you know, some of the big time guys, Bill Snyder at Kansas State. And, and, and it's it's a league that I was proud to be a part of. It's a league that I'm happy has kind of found its traction after news of its demise was being reported a year ago. Uh, but but I, I feel like they should have let Texas and Oklahoma go. Now, these are financial decisions and this is big business. But I think if Texas and Oklahoma have made the decision they need to move on, that there should have been some sort of way to create an exit strategy so that they're not in this limbo land. Because I think it always is the, the starting of the conversation that Texas and Oklahoma still remain rather than talking about the race that can be a really exciting one, including those two schools. You mentioned Baylor, Oklahoma State, I think is a formidable foe. Um, and we'll wait and see what happens with Sonny Dykes at TCU. Uh, if Iowa State recalibrates and gets back to where they were a couple of years ago, uh, I still think Neil Brown's a heck of a coach at West Virginia. So uh, a lot of storylines, but it always starts with Oklahoma and Texas are still there. As a, as a coach, what do you look at first when you're sizing up a team going into a season? Do you look at the quarterback? Do you look at the trenches? Do you look at the defense? If you had to list your priorities. Quarterback. Quarterbacks first. Uh, an experienced quarterback, a talented quarterback coming back lends itself to stability. Uh, and especially now in a uh, transfer friendly world, a great quarterback is a recruiting enticement to those in the portal. Somebody wanting to come and be a part of, you know, somebody already there. That's, that's an attractive thing. Um, certainly being able to hold up in the trenches. Uh, you can coach around smaller offensive linemen. You know, that's the advent of spread offense, right? You can air raid it. Uh, you can do lots of things, which was a hallmark of the you know early days of the Big 12. Uh, but if you have a dominant offensive lineman, uh, offensive line, you can kind of get around the lack of a, uh, a difference-making quarterback. But ultimately, the quarterback's where I begin. What kind of coach is going to thrive in this new age of NIL and the transfer portal? And what kind of coach isn't? Well, it's a nimble guy uh, and he likes doing it because it's a something you've got to mind the store all the time. It's like owning a restaurant. You, you go on vacation, you don't know who's, who's taking the money, right? You have to have ultimate trust that everybody's working on this deal 365 uh, days a year because it requires it. You've got to recruit not only your team to keep them there because they can press a button and be gone. You've got to recruit beautifully out of the high school ranks, just like always. You may not take as many, but you still have to recruit. When you look at like Urban Meyer, Urban Meyer said, I'm not sure that my style of coaching is, is going to work in college football in with, the NIL and, and the transfer. Yeah, and, and, and that's where Urban Meyer, you know, to me sounds a little bit like a dinosaur because you've got to adapt. The greatest adapter in the history of college athletics has been Nick Saban. He didn't like the RPO. He got beat by the RPO a couple of times. Ole Miss knocked him off. Auburn knocked him off. 
he fixed that. He, he not only incorporated the RPO, and Tua Tungabailoa was an example of an offense that scores 40 points plus, you know, since he took on the new look offense, but he also fixed the defense. He changed the profile of who plays linebacker, changed the profile of who plays safety, uh, and who plays corner so that he can no longer, you know, use that as an excuse. You cannot like change, but change is coming, and those who adapt to it best are uh, best suited for continued success. Uh, and that's why I think Nick Saban is the uh, absolute architect of that. What, uh, for Texas and Oklahoma, what's going to be the biggest change in going to the SEC? Oh, they, they can play those games, but they're, they're going to have to have their A game uh, to be effective uh, on, on an every week basis. They've been able, over the course of their lifetimes in the Big 12, uh, to be able to, you know, get away with a B effort and still get the victory uh, and even C effort and still get a victory. Those games might be close. We've seen, you know, big underdogs like Kansas get close to them. Actually, Kansas knocks off Texas last year, right? Uh, but when you get into the SEC and everybody's stockpiled, you know, the kind of players that everybody's looking for in college athletics, uh, you can't get away with a lesser than uh, your best effort and expect victory. And I think there's just going to be more of those games. It's going to be great for the fans who like competitive action on their TV screen, but uh, it's going to be headaches for those coaches as they're trying to, you know, salt away victories. So take us behind the scenes uh, of your radio show, Sirius XM full ride. (laughs) You, you and Chris Childers. Yeah. Um, Tell us about that dynamic. Well, I dubbed him the show pony early on in the show because he's a entertainer. His hero is Howard Stern. So he is the Howard Stern of college football talk radio. He wants to be flamboyant. He wants to say outrageous things. Uh, He becomes, you know, completely off base and and, uh, improper at times. I have to, I have to kind of corral him all the time, but we have the ability given our dynamic, to make it entertaining radio, despite the lack of maybe major news out there. I think we're at our best when the season's on because we can break down games as well as I think anybody. We were watching the games. I'm, I've got uh, a way to get to all the action via my studio at CBS. Uh, you know, I, I find it fun to keep current with these things. So we can break down the action and all the deals. And we have a love affair with the entire uh, entirety of Division One. We're not going to uh, just give you the games that everybody's giving you. We're going to get tell you what's going on in all the conferences. Uh, as a matter of fact, we even have, instead of a Heisman Award ship, we have the Greisman, which is the group of five Heisman, because we know that we can't win it from those leagues. Uh, but we're excited about uh, you know having that race. Bailey Zappi last year, the, quarter, the quarterback from Western Kentucky, won our Greisman Award. Yeah, 70 touchdown passes. That'll, that'll, uh, that'll do it. And now that offensive coordinator. And a fourth round draft choice. Yeah. I mean, the guy, the guy was a special guy just two years ago. He's at Houston Baptist or something like that. Yeah. And now his offensive coordinator is at Texas Tech. Exactly. You talk about uh, trickle up economics. This is what we're getting. And, and uh, you know, those are stories we like to tell on Full Ride. And Brian Jones, of course, Texas fans know about. Uh, oh, my goodness. You talk about somebody uh, born in burn orange. Uh, and, and he spent a couple years at UCLA before transferring back. Uh, 
That's right. But uh, he's died in the wool uh, Longhorn. And when the Longhorns are on TV in our CBS studios, I have to get earplugs because uh, there is no one more passionate, both exuberant in their glory and disappointed in their in their struggles than Brian Jones. It gets loud at uh, our, our little sta- uh, deal there on uh, West 57th Street. Well, if you have to look into your crystal ball, Rick, in five years, where is where is the Power Five? What does it look like? Where's Colorado? Where's Washington? Well, my concern is, Chip, that we're going to lose some programs because people are going to look around and say, okay, we've got an NFL operation. It's a very lucrative operation, and the networks are showing all these great games, but there's not room for everybody. And so because of that, we're going to have a diminishing interest in some of these other programs. And there's going to be some that fall away, some that go to the FCS, some that, uh, you know, uh, decide to put their resources in other sports. And that to me is going to be really sad because we've currently got, you know, 131 teams that offer 85 scholarships, which means you do the math of how many great college experiences. This isn't about being a minor league for the NFL, this is about that student athlete experience, as I said about the mission statement not so long ago. Uh, So I'm working and I know there are others working hard, whether it be via our voice, via our influence, what have you, to make sure that the powers that be think globally. No one has that job description currently, but if you'll think globally, we can save the student athlete and certainly keep a very, very exciting product on Saturdays and maybe get paid what we're worth, which is uh, can be enhancing the, you know, supersize the scholarships, if you will, uh, as we sit and think about uh, this ever growing pie. Yeah, I've been saying since the realignment of 2010 that the Power Five needed to collectively bargain their media rights like the NFL. That's where the most money was. That's what Pete Rosell did for the NFL in the 60s. He's, he talked to, he said, look at LA, look at New York. I know it sounds crazy to give up your advantage, but if you'll do it, we will be more powerful. And now they're getting $10 billion every uh, year to televise their 32 team enterprise. We can do the same at the collegiate level. If we'll all, you know, sit down at a table and understand egos get checked in we say this all the time in team plays right we got to check our egos at the door there'll be plenty enough for everybody why can't we you know drink our own kool-aid on this subject yeah is the gap too big now between the sec the big 10 and everyone else for them to the question isn't is the gap too big because it's yes the question is will they be willing to give up the gap that they enjoy right now for the sake of it all and realize that it's going to be the betterment of themselves in the long haul they're they're basically the equivalent of Los Angeles and New York in the old days, right? When television markets and in, you know, the population centers of the world, they they were going to be more lucrative uh, franchises than the others. But if everybody puts everything into the middle of the pile and says, okay, we're going to be, you know, all for one, one for all the three musketeers, uh, you know, story, can, can we survive that? Well, it looks like they're surviving beautifully. I mean, the Denver Broncos just got sold for $4.5 billion. $4.5 billion. That is a monster enterprise. So can the SEC and the Big Ten see their way to giving up an advantage that they currently hold so that we can get the best games on television, get a national champion, but also make it a coast-to-coast 
enterprise. If we can get that done, then I think we save a bunch of scholarships and we do exactly what we say we want to do, which is look after the student athlete. And you need a commissioner or someone to champion that cause who can get everyone to the table. Maybe in the old days, it was Roy Kramer, Chuck Ninus. Who's that guy now? Well, you know, I, I don't know uh, who wants to put their hand up, but I know people like Jim Delaney have been down this road. I don't know if Jim's enjoying retirement as much as he thought he would. Uh, but if you can go get folks who've earned the trust of those in this field uh, that are big thinkers, that are consensus builders, and you get everybody to a summit and just say, listen, we've got to solve, we've got some real issues. And then make sure that at that summit, somebody's there to collectively bargain for the student athlete so that it passes muster with court, with, with our Supreme Court if it's ever challenged. Then I think we've got the makings of something really dramatic. We have something immensely valuable. We know that. Fox and ESPN are not doing what they're doing right now if they don't realize that this is immensely valuable. I think, from one man's opinion, that it's undervalued. And if we put it all in the center of the table and get really smart people around to develop a strategy going forward, we can uh, enhance the product and not ask student athletes to fly across the country on a weekly basis to get games on television. Uh, great stuff, Rick. Do you have a uh, a pick yet in the Big 12? Oh, uh, you know, I, I, I'm a Dave Aranda fan. I see why Baylor is, uh, you know, going to be considered there. I, I'm waiting to see about Brent Venables. I'm, I'm, you know, cautiously optimistic that things will go well. I'm really excited for Steve Sarkeesian. I know that Chris Del Conte is a wonderful uh Administrator there is the athletic director, a big fan of his. And I think that Gary Patterson there will have an impact and hopefully help uh, Pete Kwiatkowski. Uh, Texas can't have give up 200 yards rushing. You know, that they were one of 17 schools that gave up 200 yards rushing. They fixed that. This is going to be a wild, wild conference. And that's what we need. We need great conference races and we need an expanded playoff so the conference races come back to being the exciting thing in November rather than just the top four teams in the country. And hopefully we're just a couple of years away from that. Yeah, totally agree on that. Uh, Rick, really appreciate it. Love talking ball with you. Um, let's, uh, let's do it again. I was expecting you to have a Quinn Ewers mullet when I saw you on television. You've not gone to that level yet, huh? You no, know, there's a high school picture of me, Rick. <laughs> that would make Quinn Ewers jealous. I'm just That's telling what you. I'm talking about, Chip. That's what I'm talking about. Always good to talk to you, my friend. Book them. Hey, for Rick Neuheisel, I'm Chip Brown. Thanks so much for listening to the Flagship Podcast. Until next time, stay safe and keep the faith.